You're listening to episode 53 of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Chris Lamberth. And I'm Josh Havens. And we're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that he would help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. Today, we're talking with Dr. Andre Snavely. Andre is passionate about reaching the lost with spirit-empowered training, resourcing, and equipping for Acts 1-8 ministries. As an author, missionary, and theologian, Dr. Snavely and his wife, Darla, have been in ministry together for nearly 30 years, serving in pastoral ministry and as a professor of Bible, theology, and ministry at Central Bible College and Global University. They currently live in Brussels, Belgium, where Dr. Snavely serves as professor of theology at Continental Theological Seminary, and Darla serves with Breaking Chains, a ministry that helps women escape prostitution. The way we respond to an issue says a lot about who we are. And as the church, we have to make sure that our desire to tell the truth doesn't push us to respond in a way that sours people to the truth we have to communicate. In these tense times we live in, this conversation with Dr. Snavely is exactly what we need to be thoughtful about what we're saying as the church. Dr. Snavely, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. So good to be here. It's been a while since we've caught up, man, and the world is a completely different place since last time we've talked. And uh, so you tell us a little bit how this happened, because I watched it unfold on Facebook and um, you were in the States. You've had to come back and forth between Belgium and the States. And then I remember you got on a plane and were going back to Belgium right as the pandemic was kind of starting, but they hadn't done travel bans because you took a picture of yourself and you were the only person on the plane. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Well, we did come back to the States. Our son graduated from Officers Candidate School in uh, Fort Benning, Georgia. And so uh, we flew back, uh, left Atlanta on a Tuesday, got back to in Brussels on a Wednesday morning. And yeah, all this was just really beginning to develop. That was the first week in March. And so uh, that day we got back, we learned that the school, uh, CTS, was asking everyone to quarantine for two weeks uh, who comes from, you know, would come there from another country. So, um, Anyway, we were scheduled to come back this summer anyway, and Darley was going to come back early because uh, she's received her uh, licensing uh, credentials with uh, South Texas District. So she was going to go to their district council and and then to another district council, and then I was going to come back in June anyway. So um, we out, went out to the airport the next day, and so she was only there two days and flew back, and Delta changed her ticket, but then... Uh, I was there about another three weeks and learned because of the travel restrictions that I might get stuck there for a few months. Hmm. So I went ahead and uh, Delta had already stopped their flights out of Brussels. So I just went ahead and bought a a ticket through United. And uh, yeah, I was uh, that last, it was the very last flight uh, up until just recently uh, from Brussels to the United States on United. And so I went ahead and bought that ticket and I was on the very last flight. So that, plane that maybe seats like 300 people. I think there were like 20 on board. And by that point, it was all U.S. citizens. Yeah. We were the only ones allowed to get back. But I was glad to get back. And um, and so been able to teach my classes online at CTS. And so um, Darla stayed at least in contact with her ministry, with the women who uh, help um, ladies get out of the uh, sex trafficking in the red light district up in Antwerp, Belgium, is what she does. Yeah. So, um, 
but we're going to be going back in September. And so uh, hopefully uh, the coronavirus situation has um, begun to ease off. And I know things are opening back up in, in Belgium. Yeah. And so uh, things are looking good there. And hopefully we'll get back and things will be closer back to normal in, good. S- in September. Yeah. yeah. And hopefully we don't see another big, massive spike at right. least for, and yep. you know, even if we do, hopefully we're a little bit more prepared now. We kind of right. know what's going to come and what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, but man, I tell you just life has been crazy. One thing after another, you know, this year, this is turning out to be one for the history books for sure. And, uh, you know, you have been, you know, my former professor, and then we worked together at Globe University for years. And so you have been a teacher and one of those people that I process things with. And so, it, it you know, I've missed being able to process all of this stuff that we, that has been going on because, you know, we are having um, – you know, lots and lots of conversations out there in the world right now, and especially on mm-hmm. social media. I try to stay off social media as much as possible because I hate it. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> good reason. Yeah, unfortunately, we need to be on social media for uh, you know we again, otherwise the podcast doesn't get out. And so you know, there's there's some necessary evils there, I suppose. Right. But you do get sucked in every once in a while, and man, I cannot tell you how aggravating it is because it feels like all the conversations we're having and right now the big issue is all the stuff with racial injustice that you know has popped Mm -hmm. up and uh you know right after the coronavirus sort of a perfect storm situation really bizarre and um we're not nuanced in our conversations and I kind of want to talk with you about some of these ways that we can have better conversations and try to understand I think from the church's perspective, how we can respond better to these really difficult issues that we're that we're facing. Not mm-hmm. that we're necessarily going to come up with the end-all, be-all answer, but the process of having those conversations and working out what we like to call theology, right? Mm-hmm. Like doing theology together in, in community um, is, is I think, the most important aspect that the church is missing through this whole, uh, this whole process. So, um, you, you know, like— how have you been taking in some of these things, or maybe have you just been avoiding them altogether, <laughs> well, <laughs> trying to? Uh, <laughs> yeah, kind of impossible too to avoid it. You know, um, I've been busy doing things, and um, you know, still teaching my classes and grading papers and things. So, um, and settling into we moved into a house uh, the last couple of weeks, so I was busy doing that yeah. during this whole. Uh, uh, social unrest that we're seeing in the cities. But at the same time, uh, I have caught some of it and uh, stand up to date as far as what's going on. Um, like you, a little frustrated uh, because, you know, as we've talked, you know, in times past, uh, it seems like, uh, right, the, the conversations are not nuanced. Uh, it just seems like there's a lot of voices out there that are just um, mainly just trying to exert their own will and their own influence on others, regardless of having basically no conversation. I mean, some of these, um, some of these protests, um, are, you know, have reverted to violence Mm -hmm. and they're not willing to sit down and have a conversation. And then on the other hand, there's a lot of people, um, you know, are completely silent or I wouldn't say just silence is the worst thing, but apathy. Yeah, you know, of just totally disengagement completely. Mm-hmm. Like, 
I'm not even going to be a part of it. I'm not going to listen to it. I'm not going to even bother, you know, to be involved. <clears throat> and so, because it it is emotional. Yeah. You know, you can't even listen to uh, any uh, report without having some kind of uh, of a thought of which side you're on, mm-hmm. or whether you think it's right or wrong, or what you think should well, and be which done. Which issue is right or wrong? Yeah. And then so, you get crisis fatigue piled right. on top of that, and you just feel like you can't even do anything anymore because it's yeah. just been one thing after the other. Yeah, and, and and along with that, it's so huge. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you think, well, what can I do exactly. as an individual, or even my church? You know, maybe we're a small church in a in a just one community. And, um, but I think it does raise issues of what the church, what the church is Mm -hmm. and what the church does out of who it is. Yeah. And that's, I, I'm hopeful that the church will get to that point where we, we have a much better understanding of who we are as Christians and what it means to live in, be citizens of the kingdom of Mm -hmm. God and yet live in the worldly empire that we live in. The problem, though, that I see is getting there is going to be a really, really hard road for many people because that is an an incredibly difficult. Those are incredibly difficult issues to work through, and if you're if you're, this is the first time you're being confronted with those things. Mm-hmm. You're going to have another crisis of an identity crisis and, and crisis of conscience along with all of these other things. And so, because I remember, like, you were the one that really introduced me to a lot of these ideas of, um, uh, we, we call it in the theological world, Constantinianism. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us what Constantinianism is first, and well, then we'll, we'll break it open a little bit more. Yeah, basically, it's, um, you know, it refers to the Emperor Constantine, who in the, the early 4th century, uh, first of all, embraced Christianity. Well, first of all, he had a vision, and this was in 312, of um, a cross uh, over the battlefield, and that uh, that this vision uh, compelled him to believe that uh, the Christian faith would uh, allow him, if he embraced the Christian faith and appealed to the God of the Christians, that he would win. The his armies would win, and they did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, turned out good for him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you know, in some ways, turned out good for the Christians. And the fact that uh, just a year later, uh, three thirteen, he signed signed the uh, Edict of Milan, that effectively put an end to the Roman Empire persecution of Christians, outlawed the persecution of Christians. Well, it really didn't take uh, full effect for a few years. There was some minor persecutions after that, but. Um, uh, by uh, Theodosius's time in about 370, um, the Christianity was made the official religion of the Roman Empire. So it went from toleration to enforcement. Mm-hmm. And so Constantinianism is just the name of the, the arrangement of governments and nations uh, being aligned most closely with Christianity. And of course, that has persisted for centuries and centuries, developed into the Holy Roman Empire. And then basically, beginning with the Reformation um, in around 1500, 
or soon thereafter, you could say that between that and the French Revolution and the American Revolution, it was the um, the Western nations um, basically saying, uh, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, <laughs> this arrangement's over. Yeah. We're going to be doing it on our own now, and we don't want the church to influence us. And there was a, there's so much uh, European history, philosophy, uh, church history that it, it all goes together. Yeah. You can't separate any of it. It all relates to each other. And it's so uh it's so interwoven, uh so many facets that you can only paint broad brush mm-hmm. marks, you know, to be able to really describe it. Well, yeah, play the uh, devil's advocate <clears throat> here because if something like what uh you're describing Constantine did and Theodosius did. If something like that happened in the in the United States right now, where we see we would see like the government mm-hmm. basically outlaw any mm-hmm. persecution of Christians and then make Christianity the official religion of the U- United mm-hmm. States, wouldn't that be a good thing? Well, for the church, uh, this it's a mixed um, it's a mixed thing because what the church originally thought was that this is great because now we have the government on our side. Um, you know, it's it's so much easier to uh, for the church to evangelize and live in peace uh, when you're not being thrown to the lions. Yep. You know, uh, any We're of used us, as torches. Yeah. And... <laughs> right. Any of us would prefer that kind of Constantinianism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. However, what's developed the last few hundred years is when the nations uh, begin to um, basically see, and really, a, a, you could say that this Constantinianism caused the church to be so convoluted that you really couldn't draw the line between the church and the world because the church was the world and the world was the church. So they had, they both had their, their, um, their head, you know, the church had the Pope and the emperor, the empire had its emperor, but yet those two were constantly vying for, uh, control and power to where, uh, original, uh, eventually, then the European nations, um, you know, they uh, they deposed of even their monarchs because mm-hmm. their monarchs were so, um, you know, intertwined with yeah. uh, the religious leaders mm-hmm. that you could say that the revolutions, like the French Revolution, uh, and even some degree the the American Revolution, was. Um, basically just the forerunners of secularism. Mm. They were people who uh, were claiming to, to have like this idea of liberty for all, uh, like our Constitution and our Bill of Rights um, says that you know there's a, a separation between the church and the state. And so these two entities will be separate now. But uh, in theory, one could say, well, that's a good thing. And I'd say for the church, it probably is a good thing yeah. because uh, what now some would refer to as post-Constantinianism would be um, not that these two entities are completely you know, so separate that they don't mix anymore, but the main problem, and this is what I see through all of this that we're going through today, is that, and I've told people this, you can see it that the world, especially in the Western, the Western nations, still uses 
Christian morality. Because Christian morality, whether we like it or not, uh, people can say it doesn't exist in our society and that we're not really Christians and you know we can choose and all that we want to. But the, the Christian morality is so ingrained in Western nations that the world is still sort of operating under the principles of the church. Mm-hmm. Because West, the Western, Western societies would not be anything like they are today without Constantinianism. In other words, without the church infusing the cultures with Christian values. Those Judeo-Christian values we always hear about. Right, because you go anywhere else in the world, and their worldviews are quite distinct Mm -hmm. from the Western worldview. And that's because those worldviews were not infused for centuries and centuries and centuries (laughs) with Christian values. Okay. Yeah. So the other side of the coin, though, um, and, and the, some people, let me back up a minute. Some people would say that that's heretical in the sense that Western nations and Western cultures have taken what they gleaned and learned from Christian values. And they said, well, we don't need God anymore. We don't need the church anymore. We don't need the Bible anymore. We're not going to allow people to pray anymore. All these things have been in in the public domain. The public mo- domain has been stripped of any Christianity mm-hmm. and its influence upon them. But it's heretical in the sense that they still have those values. Yeah. Okay. We still believe, you know, in certain values, but um, of course, a lot of those values have changed. And um, freedom, for instance, you know, is one of those values that um, uh, individual autonomy and individual rights, um, uh, equality, um, we could just pick that one. You know, mm-hmm. People today are calling for complete, in, uh, complete equality of all people, regardless of race or creed or color. And that in itself is a result of the Christian faith influence in the Western society. Yeah. So... Um, it's heretical in the sense that they that the people in the world who are not even Christians would still make that claim, mm-hmm. but yet not give God the credit for it. Yeah, or not give the church the credit for it. On the other hand, what I'm even more concerned about, though, is the church's unwillingness to let go of the world. Mm-hmm. And I've told people lately. Uh, I was with a family uh, gathering just this last Saturday. I was talking to um, some members in my family about this, that what I see probably, not just in this case, but in like many, many other cases, probably the the most um, critical problem in the church today is the church's lack of a distinction from the world. Mm-hmm. In other words, it does not know its own identity. You were talking about identity earlier, you know, like, um, in our conversation, that you know, the number one thing that compels us as Christians is our Christian identity. But if that's not so distinct from what I used to be in the world, or what I would be normally, like naturally in the world, if I wasn't a Christian, yeah, I mean, there's not really that distinction. 
So people don't know even what to say in all this conversation, and I think that really frustrates a lot of Christians. Yeah, like how does Christianity change you? Like yeah, why, and, how are you different now as a follower of Christ than you were right. before? And, and how if, can I go out and should I participate in these protests? Exactly. Should I put my opinions on Facebook? And if I do, then should I just say the same thing that everybody else is saying? Yeah. Or should I say something that's very specifically identifies me as a Christian? Mm-hmm. See, that's the problem. Because I think a lot of times, and I've seen this, the church just adopts the slogans or the phrases or the, or the causes. You know, everybody has to have a cause these days. Yeah. Uh, that, that some movement out in the world, and then the church kind of um, cowers to that and says, I have to, you know, to be, and this is actually a form of Constantinianism that John Howard Yoder addressed. He said the future which really at the time he even said it was not the future. It was already happening. <laughs> so, yeah. But he says, um, you know, for his lack of uh, better um, terminology, you know, it was his definition of neo-neo-neo-neo-Constantinianism, yeah. that in the future uh, Constantinianism would take any kind of form whatsoever, didn't mean matter what it would be, mm-hmm. but the, it would take the form that the church would align itself with the culture in any facet long after the culture has dismissed God and Christianity as any kind of even a viable option. Mm -hmm. You know, a completely secularized society that we see in Europe and we see in America going this same secularization. Yeah. It's just that America's not quite as much secular and maybe hopefully never will be in that sense that the culture just is absolutely so adamantly opposed to anything about God. Yeah. Um like but the church will like agree Belgium. with them because there's still a hint of those values that seem to line up. Not necessarily that. What then? Power, mm. prestige. The church will numbers align itself with these governmental entities in order to retain its power. Yeah, and not necessarily governmental. At this point, it's really culture, too. Mm-hmm. Culture. Of course, you really can't separate sometimes government and culture. No, but, but, well, I, yeah, you, and you're right, but that's even that's, a, I think, a good distinction for what— Anyway, we're keep going. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, I'm just. I'm trying to just say that um, it will align itself with those causes mm-hmm. that will ensure that it will sort of stay on the right side of history. Oh, I In see. In other words, yeah. Even if it's a minority, mm-hmm. the church will do whatever it can to try to bolster its appeal to the world or its influence in the world, thinking that if we only agree with these causes, yeah. that we'll have more influence. Yeah. Regardless, Which is absolutely the opposite is the case, really. Yeah. Well, yeah. Regardless of where God and Christ line up on... In, exactly. In factoring, like, let's, so let's just address it. Um, you know, like the Black Lives Matter movement, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody here will agree that Black Lives Matter. But mm-hmm. I think what you're addressing is then the 
the church's adoption of the movement and alignment with it, regardless of where it stands as far as its Christian witness is concerned. Right. Like now, its Christian witness should be addressing the fact that there is value in uh, every black life and, Mm -hmm. and because they are created in the image of God. Right. But the point is, because we have failed to maybe articulate and live that truth out in the past, we will adopt these in this case, that cultural value, that cultural movement, and sort of, uh, you know, uh, betray our identity in Christ mm-hmm. as being the thing that's really leading us to this. I really this. do think it all comes back to the identity thing, because the only reason that you would need to maintain your appeal, maintain your position of being on the right side of history, is because you feel like your, your character, who you are to the world, is somehow your responsibility. Mm-hmm. And... If it's your responsibility, you do have to do whatever it takes to keep yourself, in a sense, culturally safe. Make sure that your your culture, your identity continues into the future. And really what Jesus was saying was the opposite. I mean, right. he said the world's going to hate you. Yeah. And your identity is that of somebody that, that the world actually hates. And mm-hmm. so what do we do with that? Well, we can't really handle that, and so we try to <laughs> mm-hmm. we try to pander yeah. to society and then make our, ourselves feel better because we don't fully grasp our identity as mm-hmm. but the even, body of Christ. But even that's a great point because even that point that you've just made there has to be nuanced. Like there's there can be several different layers involved oh, yeah, with that. Absolutely. Because again, then you can say, well, you, you're hating me, therefore I'm clearly doing my good discipleship duty in following Christ. And we also have to take into account that... Uh, you know, like Peter says, if somebody's hating you for doing wrong, <laughs> yeah, you're right. not justified in no. that. You're, you're not just doing, being dumb. That's right. <laughs> right. And right. so you have to be hated for the right thing. Well, he says for his sake. Yeah. For, for his exactly. name's sake. For his name's Yeah, so sake. I'm afraid that the church is not willing to stand up and say, we are living our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Therefore, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we can say this and we can do this. But it's not for the cause of being liked or disliked. Yes. It's for the cause that we are compelled to follow Christ mm-hmm. first and not follow every single movement that comes along. Mm-hmm. Because let's face it, um, Jesus had that choice. Mm. The, the social justice cause of his day, they were called the zealots. Mm-hmm. They would be the people today protesting in the streets of the injustices of the Roman society, you know, and even the Jewish society uh, that they were under. Jesus Uh, had one of them following him. Yeah, but he didn't do it. Yeah, Jesus refused to be, um, well, to have a kingdom like this world. Yes. I mean, so when you understand, um, you know, the ramifications of what Jesus brought when he says he was bringing the kingdom of God. You know, the kingdom of God is near you. It's at hand. Mm -hmm. What he meant was he was here. Yes. (laughs) And so uh, in his own personhood, he was inaugurating the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus's life and death is what the kingdom of God looks like. Mm. And so when he refused to be an agitator, a political... Um, rebellious uh, protester. Um, what was he? What was he saying in in doing that? 
See? Yeah. He was saying that these kingdoms of the world are fallen. Mm-hmm. And they might be in power now, but his kingdom was the kingdom that would stand. And I'm afraid today when we align ourselves with movements, uh, political parties, uh, political figures, uh, even even causes, you know, we could be inadvertently uh, diminishing the gospel mm-hmm. in our life because basically what we're saying is our salvation is in that cause, yeah. or our salvation is ultimately in that political candidate or in that political party. Mm-hmm. We're really saying that our identity is in this world. Yeah. And Paul said exactly the opposite in Philippians 3.20. For me, I think that really gets back to part of the problem that we face with this Constantin- with this idea of Constantinianism. We, we see the, the culture around us adopting things that we, we accept, we stand for those things, we value the things, some mm-hmm. of the things that they value. Uh, and they I can th- even call us to account where oh, yeah. we have missed Absolutely. those things. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah, we can. Mm-hmm. The problem then, though, becomes uh, a matter of, well, again, identity, but where we're putting our hope. Right. Mm. And yeah. if, we're, if we're trying to play a game, and I'm going to use the, game, uh, the word game mm-hmm. kind of hyperbolically, but mm-hmm. if we're trying to play a game that the world is playing, we're playing by the rules of the world, and we're going to win mm-hmm. a worldly reward. In a sense, wait, 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 wait. So if you, if the game we're playing is played by the sword, we're going to win or die by the sword. Is that what you're saying? I think so. <laughs> I think once someone said that before. We should but, look that up. Yeah. <laughs> Probably Abraham Lincoln on the internet. Right. <laughs> but basically, if we if we have this ideal ideology that says we can get behind Black Lives Matter because we agree that Black Lives Matter, yeah, um, then in a sense, aren't we saying that? The, the ideal world can be bought, brought about by doing the kind of things like joining in a, a movement called Black Lives Matter. Yeah, and I would say this. I wanted to clarify that when I say Black Lives Matter, it's a small b, a small l, and a small m. Because in that sense, it's not a movement. It's not a cause. It's a person. Yeah. In fact, it's people. Mm-hmm. It's people that are black. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what Jesus would do. Jesus would say that every life matters. And he did come to the vulnerable. He came to the weak. He came to the despised. I mean, we can all agree to that. Mm-hmm. You know. So in, the sen- in a sense, uh, black lives matter because uh, as a race, as a people, you know, here in America especially and other parts of the world too, um, you know, black lives have been subjected to the, uh, you know, the most atrocious cruelties, you know, um, you know, but in Europe, it's the Roma people, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, racially, they wouldn't be, you couldn't distinguish them in any way from the rest of the population. So they're, they're treated, they've been treated, uh, with atrocities down through the ages. Uh, but that's a, um, that's a socioeconomic distinction you know so there's all kinds of discriminations there's all kinds of atrocities yeah. through the world you know in the history of the world from one one race to another one socioeconomic group to another but by and large we could say that Jesus came um 
you know, just like, um, you know, he quotes in Isaiah in Luke chapter four, you know, he, uh, the spirit of the Lord was, was upon him, you know, to preach good news to the captive, you know, uh, sight to the blind and, uh, the year of the Lord's favor, you know, he, what did he do? He came to help the ones who the most were oppressed. And even his old ministry was to those people who, uh, basically, you know, to whoever has an ear, let him listen. Yeah. You know, we have a hard time with that mm-hmm. in, in our culture where we think that uh, this is for everybody. You know, everyone equally uh, should hear the gospel, should respond to the gospel. What we have a hard time with is when people don't hear the gospel mm-hmm. or they hear the gospel with their ears, but they don't believe in the gospel. You know, and so we have to make all kinds of reasons for why that happens, you know, theologically. But let's just face it, there's evil in the world. And there's evil in this world today, and I'm afraid that the church is not, you know, if the church, here's what's most damaging about Constantinianism for the church. The church in a Constantinian situation cannot preach and live the gospel faithfully because they're too worried about aligning themselves with this group or that cause and they get wrapped up in this and and let's face it when the longer you live the 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 more you're able to see this that in every decade the church has aligned itself with something and then that changes and then the church is caught having to change and adapt mm-hmm. but if the gospel would be preached faithfully and then christians would live that gospel faithfully then the church, no matter what the cause was at the time or no matter what the unrest was or the injustices were, then the church would be able to stand and say, this is the word of the Lord. This is how we believe, and this is how we're going to live. And then live it out. Yeah. And if the church was really living out these principles, then I think the world would be able to see that you know, more clearly. Mm-hmm. And I think the problem today is that the world uh, oftentimes cannot see that in the church. Well, because it seems like we are, by bowing to every movement or cultural change that comes up, Mm -hmm. we are seen as being on the back foot the entire time. Right. So now the church is no longer relevant. Like, Like you mentioned earlier, right? The idea that there is equality between people is a fundamental idea that comes out of Christianity. That's right. But let's... The church failed mm-hmm. at really enacting that thing throughout America's history. And so now, you know, all these movements. And so I think it's because of our failure to live the gospel, to mm-hmm. live that thing that we've preached, you know, now we're sitting here trying to play catch up. And yeah. I, I do I do think at some point we kind of have to hit the stop button. We just yeah. have to say, look, stop. We're never going to be able to catch up because, again, that's not our job. We're not supposed right. to be. We've got to get out of this psycho cycle cycle. <laughs> We've got to get out of this psychotic cycle. There you go. I, I yeah. brought it back. Of this replacing one form of Constantinianism with right. another. And again, I see this through like again, let's just take the big two party system in America, right? It's like, you know, Trump, orange man, he's the savior from the evil liberal Democrats. And so the church aligns themselves with them. And then there's another group of the church that are like, oh, terrible orange man. You know, we got to get rid of him. So now we're looking at Joe Biden and and all this, like, le- like what happens after we elect Joe Biden and what sort of right wing person does the church mm-hmm. elect? Like, 
this thing is going to get worse unless we as the church can step in and say like, look, this is not, this is the whole thing that you put your faith in this political system, this, this empire that you Mm -hmm. believe is going to protect and save you is paper that's going to burn because it it cannot stand before the, the, the reality that is the kingdom of God. And, um, because again, I think I, all the unrest that we see in like I, I, with this Capitol Hill autonomous zone, which I guess it changed its name. I don't remember what it is yeah. now, but it's um, ch- it was Chaz. Now it's Chop. Yeah, Chop. That's right. You know, it demonstrates how like true anarchy like that. Mm-hmm. This this idea of freedom that people are looking for la- can last. I think for about a night. Mm-hmm. It lasts for about one night until human nature takes over, and then what do you have happen? You're just back in the cycle again. Well, that's anything in the world. And that's why I'm afraid that the church has lost its voice is because uh, when we, um, as good as some of these causes might be, uh, when the church aligns itself with either social causes uh, and allows the gospel to become a social gospel, then basically the church loses its appeal of salvation. And we have to get back to the basics of what do we think the church is? Mm-hmm. And what do we think out of that identity uh, should be, um, you know, the church's main focus? Yeah. And I think that's what is splitting the church apart today. Because those it's, who are on the other side would argue that the gospel does have social implications and responsibility, right. and it does impact society here and now. Right, it does. Yeah. Well, let's break that so, open. Okay, we've had, yeah, like uh, typically in the Protestant faith, we've seen salvation as private and individual and it's inner. Yeah. And so then we do have a hard time uh, once people become Christians, then we say, well, now after you're a Christian, it has to have public implications. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to go out there and you have to live your life as a Christian in the public domain. Mm-hmm. It's just that that doesn't match what we call them to. Exactly. We didn't call them to a public salvation. Yes. We didn't call them to a new community, mm-hmm. which is the biblical standard. Yep. That's what Jesus called people to. That's what Paul called people to. And we've made it something else. We did a bait and switch. We didn't ask yeah. them to count the cost. And then we wonder why people, uh, why the community of the church then cannot be a light on a hill. Mm-hmm. Because we have destroyed that light within our own selves mm. by destroying the community that we're in. Uh. And so we don't have community. I, I applaud the young people because young people are screaming for community. Yep. And thank God. And it's because uh, my generation, uh, we we blew community up. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't want any community. I mean, think of the 60s. Yeah. The 60s in America and the 70s was the abolishment of all communities. You know, if there was any before that, there wasn't any after that, Mm -hmm. you know. And so my generation was, you know, uh, glad to just carry on the individualism that we got from our parents and their parents and on down through the history. But but, uh, that's why I kind of thank God for postmodernism, because postmodernism in the last 30, 40 years has uh, turned a critical eye toward that Mm -hmm. and said, uh, now, okay, uh, those things don't work very well anymore. Mm -hmm. And um, and so that's why I really can't believe some people just want to go back to that. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the church. They want to go back to a better age. Well, I really don't know where that was. Yeah, where's the better age? <laughs> where's the better age? <laughs> that, that, you want to go age back. In which you were the most comfortable. Yes. And when you had the most power. Yeah. 
Right. <laughs> the suburban dream of That's the 50s and 60s, you know, uh, a suburban house, you know, with two car garage, two cars in the garage, yep. you know, and two and a half kids, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and so, dad only had to work one job. <laughs> that's right. And, uh, and mom didn't have to work and any mom, job. Exactly. And so, um, but I'm thinking, you want to go back to what brought us to this, you know, that didn't exactly work. Mm-hmm. You know, something failed back yeah. then, uh, big time in American culture failed. And so, um, and, and the church hasn't fared very much better than the culture during these last 30, 40 years. But what I'm, what I find so promising though, is that in, in young people today, uh, and even older people too, that all of this upheaval, as much as we hate it, as much as we, uh, long for peace and we long for, tranquility. Um, I wonder if behind all of it, God is calling the church to be the church. Mm-hmm. And I think through all of this, uh, maybe we'll see it. You know, maybe, hopefully, um, you know, it hasn't happened on a, lar- at a, on a broad scale in the past, but it has happened on a small scale. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to see it, at least on a small scale, uh, throughout all of this a crisis that we've had the coronavirus and now uh, the social unrest in our larger cities that uh, I just know. I know because I know who Christ is, and I know what God does through his son Jesus by the power of his spirit when people are praying. People are longing for that, and somehow through it all, I think local churches, local pastors— Local believers are going to rise up and say, we might not be able to solve the problems in Philadelphia and New York City, but guess what? We can do something right here in our local community. Amen. And that in itself is going to bring glory to God. Yep. And so, um, and I know even in the larger cities, there's going to be people that will rise up uh, with bold faith, and they'll say, we're going to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in the midst of anarchy. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, that will be a uh, that will be that light on a hill. Yeah, let it's let the happen. peacemakers really show right. up and, and demonstrate this <clears throat> right. within our communities, right? Of the of the church, and that should be the church. Yes, the church should be going out at this time and preaching and saying, "This is what the Lord says in this situation. This is what Scripture says, and this is our stand. Here here is where we stand. Yes, join us. Yeah, you know, put your, you know." Lay your arms down mm-hmm. and join, join the church. Our weapons, the weapons of our warfare, are not carnal. Mm, yeah, you know, but they're mighty through God to the tearing down of strongholds. Yes, you know, and I think that that passage too in Ephesians is quite misinterpreted a lot of times. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, because we want to weigh, we want to wield those weapons to fight earthly battles. Yeah, but you notice what they are in in Paul is like. It's the sword of the spirit. Mm-hmm. It's the helmet of salvation. Which you know? I know we like to picture swords and helmets there. It's righteousness. But those aren't the actual weapons. No, that he's, he's just given an to. analogy exactly. that these are our <laughs> weapons. But if you look at and 
yeah, I can go on and on all day. No, about but I think that. I do think, especially even for my generation, right? I grew up putting on the toy armor of God, and so and we used to. Uh, now I'm know, ready to fight. A lot of yeah, exactly. It gives you that warrior sense and, and mentality. I remember like you use your word like a sword. To that's right. We people. we usually we literally <laughs> used to hold our Bibles up and pretend that we were sword fighting, right? Because and we called them sword drills. And we called them sword drills, right? Oh, man, again, I won so many of those things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Josh would be that guy. Anyway. <laughs> Um, but we miss the point. We do. We miss. We the totally point. miss the point. <laughs> it's like the point is. It's it, again. It, it's like that. Um. Uh. You know. If you ever get into the argument and people are like, "Oh no, look, Jesus is violent. Here he comes back. Uh. You know, at the second coming, and he's got a sword coming out of his mouth. What do you think that means? And it's like, you think Jesus is going to kill people with his mouth? Like, you don't think that might yeah. be an analogy for right. this whole thing that. Yeah. His word is the thing that's going to cut us down. Yeah. Like we are going to be called to an account here. Like mm-hmm. again, we just miss these things. Right. And if we if we really can pay attention to, again, it, certain passages like that that we have been so overexposed to, when you read them, mm-hmm. they mean almost nothing to you. We've just read back our own worldview into those things. Exactly. And voila, they come back affirming right. our worldview. Look, let me let me tell you this. I just because I had a piece of my worldview changed. Uh, over this past weekend and even yesterday was we talked to a guy named David Swanson about his book, Rediscipling the White Church. And um, through this whole process of trying to work through racism and what the church's response is and Mm -hmm. why this was so offensive to me personally, I realized an area that I had still been caught up in my own Constantinianism. Mm -hmm. Again, like everything with the Christian life, this is a process that you have to constantly revisit within yourself. And mm-hmm. the Lord continues to show you new areas of sin you didn't know that you had. And, um, you know, that that's part of learning who you are as right. Christ and practicing the basics and why you need to walk with others because they help point these things out. Um, but it was this idea that you, you hit on just a minute ago, and it was the my overemphasis on individualism. Mm-hmm. From my myself as an American, because mm-hmm. again, like I will default to freedom. Like it, freedom is one of my major values that I hold. Like some people, so again, just by way of um, illustrating, I think the different nuances and the layers that can come here. If you're sitting across the table with another Christian and they're coming at like let's say this political issue of the day, and their highest value is something like community. And then you've got somebody like me on the other side whose highest value is freedom. We're both going to argue for those values from Scripture. I'm going to say, well, look, God mm-hmm. gives you the choice to choose mm-hmm. to sin, to, to do whatever you want to do. That's freedom. And you're going to say, well, no, but, you know, we're called to be Christians. So that means that we should have all things in common and share one another. And mm-hmm. so because we're coming at these two things with different values, we're going to disagree and I think that's a perfectly fine thing. Let's figure out how to, um, as Paul says in Philippians, work out our salvation amongst ourselves. Like, mm-hmm. So that's where we're going to wrestle and we're going to talk and have good theological discussion. But what I realized was on my emphasis in freedom, it was coming a whole lot more from my identity as an American in this oh, case sure. than it was coming from anything, because I still believe it, right? God gives you the choice to choose to be wrong. He, he mm-hmm. lets you know people go. That's... And, and he seeks after them with everything. That's the point of the gospel. Um, but we, even with that being a Christian value, I wasn't valuing that because I'm a Christian. No. I was valuing it because I was an American. Right. 
And so I even had to repent of this Constantinianism mm-hmm. that I found in my mm-hmm. own heart. And so, uh, man, this is, this is a constant battle and why we need to, we're not having one conversation when we talk about any of these issues. We're having like 12 to oh, yeah. 87, you know, yeah. like it's just, there's so many that have to be worked through because we're each coming from different perspectives, different experiences, which influences the way that we've read scripture, which influences the theology that we have. And we don't see things quite eye to eye. I do think, though, that we have to get to a place where at least we're having the right discussion around the right point. And it's, the, mm-hmm. it's what you've just brought up is what is the essential elements of the gospel Mm-hmm. Because, it, like again, like you've just mentioned a whole lot, Josh, it's that's where our identity is found. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if we can't get to an agreement on that point, first and foremost, any of these other conversations are just going to be more of the same. Yeah, and I think, too, uh, that reminds me of, you know, personal identity um, as a Christian, that I think that oftentimes in America— we don't focus enough on the fact that when we become a Christian, we really are supposed to lose our own past identity anyway. Mm-hmm. Our identity as Christians is actually the person of Jesus Christ. That's what the Father wants to do in us. And, and through all of my studies, I've really come to a, a point where I pray. I mean, it's changed my prayer life. Changed how I pray about other people. I mean, the people that I pray for every morning, uh, if I told them how I prayed for them, they might want me to change my prayer. (laughs) Because, you know, typically we pray, Lord, just bless them. Yeah. I mean, we all want to be blessed, right? But a few years ago, really is when I was working through my dissertation, and I come to see that the work of salvation is really that Jesus created a new humanity. And then for the Father, for us to be reconciled back to the Father, we had to repent of who we are. And to for the, for the Father to do his work of sonship in us by the Spirit, of putting Jesus Christ in us and us in Jesus Christ, so that our identity as Christians it's not me anymore. My old died. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to have died in the waters of baptism. You know, that's what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. Yeah. I mean, Romans 6, you know, 1 through 11. Um, if, if Christians would read Romans 6 more often, you know, it might give us a better perspective that, you know, even my own will, you know, through, and that's what I've been wrestling with this too, you know, what should I do? What should I say? Um, sometimes it's even, you know, and now we're seeing where people will say, well, if you don't say something, Mm -hmm. then you're at fault. Well, when Jesus was going before his accusers, he said absolutely nothing. Hmm. Why? I often wondered that why. Well, it was because he wanted his father to vindicate him. It was his father that he was submitting to, you know, and I'm not saying that we should be silent on everything, but I'm just saying that there's, 
there's sometimes where silence is not um, a fault. Yeah. You know, and especially not a fault when we're praying with other believers and we're trying to do something to uphold, um, you know, in this community that we have. Whatever community that we're in, we should be embracing all kinds of people in that community. Yes. Uh, with repentance, of course. I mean, mm-hmm. we should hold out that entrance into this community is death to oneself. I mean, that's what salvation is, right? Yep. We don't accept everybody into the church, and certainly not we don't accept them and fully embrace them if they have not repented and shown that repentance in the death to their old self in the waters of baptism. Mm-hmm. You know, And so um, if we're doing that in a community, then... That is our public voice. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes we're, we, we think that that's not enough, you know, or that's not going to be, you know, that's not going to be the latest uh, YouTube video that gets uh, a million views, mm-hmm. you know. So why does it really count for anything? You know, I think a lot of people are feeling that today. Yeah. Does my voice really count? Because the violence is what's getting all the media. Yep. And then, you know, the backlash against uh, people who don't fully subscribe to that. You know, it's like an ideology today. And I think it's very dangerous, you know. It is. And so, uh, I don't know, I'm kind of rambling right no, now. No, no, well, especially, but, because, especially <clears throat> because I think just because they don't say anything, or if you don't agree with them yet, mm-hmm. I don't think that that's a reason for condemnation to be given. Because it, mm-hmm. it's, it's a yet, you don't believe in it yet. I remember I remember when I was in college, I used to go down. I'm a young, naive guy. I like to talk. I like to argue. It's fun. I hate doing it on social media because yeah. that's not fun. But I, I like to do it in person. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I would literally go downtown. To the square? To the square <laughs> to argue yeah. with the sign holders. Right. The people who are arguing, right? Like, oh, you're yeah. going to hell right. and, you know, women should be silent and sit in the back. And then I, I remember and I would argue really really strongly against these people who are pacifists and Mm -hmm. and and here i am years later and i look back and reflect on those discussions that i had Mm -hmm. and i'm a pacifist now was it because of those arguments maybe maybe not i actually attribute it more to you but you're not you're not teaching you're not holding the sign downtown on the square i'm not holding the sign (laughs) exactly but my, my point is is um like just because somebody hasn't bought into your ideology yet right. or, or oh, the yeah. message. And again, I think we as Christians, we should understand this better than anybody. Right. Because that's the whole process of preaching the gospel. The gospel is what does it. Well, right. and I, well, I preached it to this guy and he didn't get saved. Okay, well, guess what? You planted a seed. Continue to water that seed. Mm-hmm. You can do nothing to make that seed grow. Right. So what do you do? You love that person. You're patient with that person. And you continue to steward that person, I think the, that that's the discipleship process. Yeah, that's the beauty of the harvest uh, analogy is because we certainly can't cause that seed to germinate. Exactly. You know, that's a mystery. Yep. You know, even with reproduction, it's a mystery. And, uh, and it's certainly a mystery spiritually that we actually, you know, reduplicate ourselves in other people. Mm-hmm. 
you know. So if you're if you're being faithful in your community and you were fighting, uh, you know, in your community to undo injustice, and again, I'm talking about here in mm-hmm. the church. I mean, mm-hmm. and that can spill out into the everyday life as right. part of who you are. But like again, the example that you gave of that community who's being faithful to their call to baptize people, to bring them into the community, mm-hmm. and you feel attacked, like again. That's the process that we're going through that will be the witness to the world. Right. And it's it might be small. You might not have any any major uh, uh, results in, even in your lifetime. Right. But that's the point of faith mm-hmm. is that we are not seeking results for our lifetime. It right. takes me back to the conversation that you and I were having about really just our own lives and ministries. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, I think it was a couple of weeks ago now, I felt like the the lesson that the Holy Spirit was really working in my life was contentment. Because mm-hmm. I have, I, I do have ambition, probably not quite as much as you, Chris, but I do have ambition. And I want to see like the Daily Growth Discipleship podcast right. be a really great podcast yeah. that millions of Christians are listening to. Yeah, I, I want that. Um, I want to do all these things. I want to plant a house church. I want to do all these things. And at the same time, uh, the Holy Spirit really checked me at some point and reminded me, here I am working at Global University, designing software that's going to be used. Mm-hmm. I'm going home. I'm spending time with my wife, with my kids, and I'm doing all the stuff that I'm doing right now. And he kind of just said, is that not enough? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it really hit me because what I was, what I realized was that I was trying to do all of these things and by doing that i was missing what the holy spirit was Mm -hmm. leading me to do in the moment right and we can get so caught up in moving from one social justice cause to the next to the next to the next all sometimes for great reasons right because they they do things like protect lives or uh stand up for the oppressed uh but then we neglect or we miss out or we forget the the calling that god has on our lives uh, to to really just be content with the station that we're at, the mm-hmm. the place that he's called us to, like being good parents, mm-hmm. being good pastors in a community of fifty people, being good uh, employees, being good bosses, and and living the Christian life, following Jesus in the everyday moments of life. Which is what exactly what Paul meant in Philippians four thirteen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you take that absolutely in its, in its context, Paul in is its saying, context. I'm well, we read it as Americans forever. though, and say, exactly. "I can do right. all those great things because He's going to give me strength." And instead, right. Paul's kind of emphasizing, "I can do the lowly things. I can do the weak exactly. things, like be hungry and in need, because He gives me strength." Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that's good. That's really good. Yeah, I don't even know where I was going to go after that. That we could end it right there. Well, <laughs> yeah, because I think uh, what the world lacks the most is that contentment because they don't have Christ. Yes. And if they're people, searching as blind men in a yeah, dark room, they know something's wrong. Mm-hmm. And I'd have to say that in America, there's been a lot of things wrong and there's still a Absolutely. lot of things wrong. Yes. And guess what? For That's all our those, witness. <laughs> for all those people out there that are doing everything they can to make everything right. I've got a word for them. It's going to stay wrong. Mm. Yep. The world will stay wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can hope to have an influence on the world, but it's going to stay wrong because it's on the wrong side. Yes. And people are on the wrong side until they come into the church, accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, and proclaim him as their Lord. And until he is Lord, um, they're not going to have that contentment. 
So we need to keep spreading the gospel. Where can people go to find out more about you and your work and uh, stay up to date? Well, we have a Facebook page, Andre Darlis Navely. We have our individual pages, too, uh, that you could go to. Um, And so, um, um, yeah, we have uh, a website, um, Snavely Missions in Europe, and uh, we have some things on there. And so, um, yeah, various... uh, ways that you can get in touch with us and we'll be back in the fall be back at uh i'll be back teaching at continental theological seminary and then darla be back working with her the breaking chains network that has a center outside the red light district in antwerp belgium and uh great things are ahead for both of those ministries i know like everything else it's taken really both of them taking a uh, sort of a step back and uh, we feel like sometimes that um, you know, these things have hindered the kingdom, but we have to trust and have faith. And so we know that in all things, God's working his will in our lives. Mm. You know, so we thank God for that. Yeah. Well said. Yep. Well, thank you for being on the podcast with us. We could talk for a few more hours, I am sure. But I think uh, <laughs> yeah. at least for this night, you know, I, I think you've, we've helped real, you've helped at least realign my heart. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I thank you for that. Well, thank you. One of my favorite aspects of talking with Dr. Snavely is that he always challenges me to think deeply and theologically about the issues of the day. We are too quick in our social media, FOMO-driven culture to react to events of the world instead of taking the time to prayerfully consider how God wants us to respond. Even when answers seem obvious, like standing up against racial oppression— I've learned that we still need time to pause to consider how our response will affect others. Even if we feel our message is the right one, we need to make sure our hearts are right with God and that the way in which we communicate our message is done in love. Because a message delivered harshly can soil its truth. So, I want to challenge you this week to begin having conversations with your friends and family in a way that encourages discussion, not shuts it down. And begin by talking about how the church's response to the current times should be different from the way the world reacts to crises. What hope does the church have that the world does not? How does Christ's life, death, and resurrection guide us as we serve as a witness to God's coming kingdom? How does Jesus' life demonstrate how we should minister to those around us? This takes patience and curiosity on your part. Take the posture of someone who wants to learn from those you're talking with, even if you disagree with them. Seek first to understand their perspective on an issue. And only once the other person feels you understand them, should you begin sharing your own views. How can you create a lifestyle of discipleship? Most Christians think discipleship is a program or a few practices thrown in at the beginning or end of the day. But we want to help you create a lifestyle where walking with Jesus throughout the day is not only possible, but natural. And we have a tool that's going to help you do just that. It's called the Daily Growth Journal. It's a guided journal that's going to help you become secure in your identity with God and authentically walk with Him in your daily life. Growing daily in your walk with Christ is possible if you cultivate a lifestyle of discipleship. And the Daily Growth Journal will help you do just that.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. To find out more about Andre's work, check out snavelymissions.com. If you like what you've heard this week, give us a review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast player you use. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify.